This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for this Wednesday, May 3rd. The weather forecast for today, sorry to report more showers and a high of 11 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, the Maple Leafs losing to the Panthers 4-2 in game one. Number two, a Mississauga man charged for providing toxic chemicals for suicides. Number three, two Canadians have died fighting for Ukraine. Number four, two Toronto police officers charged for stealing booze. And number five, live television, the first casualty of the Hollywood writer's strike. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Oh, hi, y'all. Yeah, I'm back from North Carolina. And as uh, I have confessed in the past, I suffer from infectious accent syndrome. So when I'm hanging out in Glasgow, all of a sudden I find myself starting to talk strange. And I guess it should come naturally because it's actually in the DNA. When I'm in the American South, which is where my dad's family is from, uh, I find the accent to be incredibly infectious. But it's also, there are times, I have to say, where you think, is this for real? And I know my cousin Chrisanne is probably listening, so I have to be circumspect. And that's, I was at the wedding of her son. And so I have to be somewhat circumspect in how I talk about everything that happened over the weekend. But there were times I'd be talking with somebody and I think, you're not, this is, you're put, this is a put on. You're faking this. You can't possibly, you are like a character from Ozark. Uh, but had the most extraordinary, wonderful time off and uh, glad to be back. And it was, um, it was nice to be a part of the tributes that we were able to pay yesterday to Gordon Lightfoot. Um, it, it was very funny because one person, well, not funny. I just find it interesting what offends people, which apparently these days is everything. But somebody said, oh, so you prepared this obit for Gordon Lightfoot before he even died. How tacky. No, actually, um, you have to know that at every media institution, there are people who are constantly preparing obits so you can be ready and so when Princess Diana is killed at the age of 36, completely unexpectedly, there actually is a filing cabinet where you go and you pull the obit out so you can publish for the morning papers. And the reason you do that is because you want to do people right. You want to give them the honor they deserve. And so, yeah, may seem a little tacky to prepare for the passing of Gordon Lightfoot, who almost died in 2002 and was pronounced dead on media, in media in 2010, it might seem a little weird to prepare an obit for him ahead of his passing. But that was how we paid tribute to him. And uh, incidentally, my thanks to uh, Chris Cant, who is, you hear his work all the time. You probably have no idea who he is, but he is our behind the scenes producer and uh, he is an absolute genius at production. So yeah, yesterday and Monday, I was away. Jerry Yeager was filling in. I heard bits of the show. I'm not one of those people who haunts. I'm not like the mad lady in the attic. I do not haunt my own show while I'm away because I trust that you are in good hands. Um, but I heard some portions of it. And my thanks again to Jerry Yeager, who I'm sure is much happier today to be back in his nine to noon slot, because that actually means you can have a normal life. So 510, and yeah, if, if you're like me, I 
I can't stay up for a hockey game. I mean, if we get to the finals, if we're, you know, it's game six in the final series and the Leafs are playing for the Stanley Cup, I will stay up and do my oblate nun duty and, you know, get by with much less sleep. But on a night like last night, I got to get to bed and get up and do the show. So I got up this morning. First thing I do is check, okay, what happened to the Leafs? And sorry to report, if you're like me and you were not aware until this very moment, the Leafs lost in game one to the Florida Panthers. Score was 4-2. And Kevin McGran writing in the Toronto Star headline, I think, gives you most of the gist of uh, what he wants to say. Maple Leafs hurt by mistakes as Panthers ride momentum to game one win. And uh, Nick Marano, I don't know if you were watching last night. Um, grabs I the didn't headset. watch bits and pieces of it. I had other uh, events going on, but okay. uh, I did record the game, and it sounds odd. I mean, why would you record a... Uh... You're going to go home today and watch it? No, 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 okay. I, because I, w- I would uh, listen to it or watch the game uh, at my own leisure when I got home from whatever I was doing. Okay. Uh, and I was listening to the Jays game on the radio, and then all of a sudden they said, here's a, a scoreboard update, down to nothing, the Leafs tied it to two in the second. I'm like, oh, rats. So then I fast-forwarded to the second period. Yeah. And then I saw the last two goals that Florida scored, and that was that. Okay. Well, and it you do tend to, in my experience, favor uh, Jays over the Leafs. Yes, I'm a big baseball fan, yeah. and um, a lot of people are not baseball fans, but, I mean, everyone has their own thing, right? Some people love football, and other people don't, so yeah, that's the beauty of sport. Yeah, I have to say I can't stand football, um, and, and I like lacrosse, and I like golf. And some people are like, I don't even know how lacrosse works. And other people are like, how can you watch golf? That's the dullest thing on earth. But I Sunday afternoon, favorite thing in the world to do is watch golf. So um, there's a whole bunch of stories today. I sometimes say this to you that, you know, I could, it's almost like uh, shuffling cards. I've got like 25 stories in front of me. And any one of them, I think, you would find compelling or would be of interest just out of sort of, well, you know, if you're going to be a Canadian or a Torontonian, you got to know this. Um, so I guess I'm going to do the, the, the Las Vegas shuffle and start plowing through some of these stories. Obviously, we're going to get to a few of them shortly when we hook up with our friends at CP24. Uh, one of the stories, though, would be that um, scriptwriters have gone on strike in the United States. And the most immediate impact of that is late night shows. So uh, Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, Stephen Colbert, Seth Meyers, Daily Show, The Tonight Show. uh, Actually, Tonight Show is the Jimmy Fallon show. Uh, SNL this weekend was supposed to be uh, Pete Davidson. And I was looking forward to that. But uh, the writers have gone on strike. And some of these people, you know, I wouldn't say it's, it's personal. Um, but some of these people are friends of mine, a uh, head writer on Colbert, uh, John Rogers, who's an incredible show runner and show creator and an incredible writer. I called him up yesterday and said, hey, come on our show today, you know, tomorrow, and we'll talk about this. He said, can't, I'm on picket duty. Um, and then I'm a member of the Canadian Writers Guild. So, um, you know, a lot of Canadian writers are like, what can we do? Can, are, are we allowed to write? Are we? The last time that there was a writer's strike was transformative in Hollywood because reality shows stepped up because they don't need script writers. And I think they were always going to become a part of the, you know, entertainment firmament, but it kind of accelerated their acceptance into the mainstream. 
And then we're probably, I don't know what we're going to do. If we're going to get into reruns or this is actually going to give us, you know, maybe some of the networks are going to grab some of the streaming shows off of, you know, they'll buy out some show at Netflix and put it on broadcast. Uh, but this could be an interesting time. Okay, let's say good morning and welcome back to News Talk 1010's John Moore. John, we missed you. It's good to see you. Hope you had a good few days off. Uh, let's get into it. So it looks like the Panthers took a bite out of our Maple Leafs on home soil, beating them 4-2 in game one of the second round of this playoff series. Yeah, there is no joy in Mudville today. <laughs> Torontonians waking up to having lost game one. I have no major analysis for you. I'll leave this to the specialists. But losing game one, 4-2 to the Panthers, a disappointment. Sheldon Keefe, the Leafs coach, saying Florida played a great game here today. It's a long series, though. Just like the last one we just mm -hmm. played, we will make some adjustments. Our guys will come back in game two. Okay, fingers crossed that'll happen. And, of course, the next game also goes at Scotiabank Arena. Uh, turning to this now, John, police have charged a Mississauga man in connection with the sale and distribution of a lethal substance called sodium nitrate. This is a man named Kenneth Law. He's 57 years old. He's facing two counts of counseling or aiding suicide. And the gray zone legally here is he's selling a completely legal and in some cases safe product. This is a product, sodium nitrate, that is used in the preservation of meats. But when consumed in large quantities, it is fatal. It was interesting. I was listening to an interview on our own station with a legal expert. And he was saying, listen, you can sell rope. That's perfectly legal. But mm. if you go to the place where a guy is planning on committing suicide to give him the rope in order to hang himself, that is a crime. Hmm. Okay, interesting analysis there. And uh, two Toronto police officers are accused of stealing alcohol seized from a suspect. This is just so penny-ante, isn't it? Two yeah. Toronto police officers facing theft charges. They stole alcohol. There were two bottles in possession of a guy they arrested on April 12th, and they were later seen after the arrest placing those bottles in their own vehicles. Mm. On Tuesday, the two constables, who I won't name, but a 55-year-old veteran and a 27-year-old, not necessarily a rookie, but he hasn't been there very long, were charged with theft under $5,000. And it really is sad to think. I mean, for two bottles of booze, mm. you may end up losing your career. Wow. Yeah. You, you know, you see scenes like this in movies where, where cops have this warehouse of the things they've collected yeah. from criminals and they treat it like a library. But yeah, this is uh, real life. Okay. And a record number of candidates are running for Toronto mayor. We are into the 60s now. As of late afternoon on the 1st of May, Joshua Singh, aged 18, became, get this, the 65th candidate to register for mayor. We have never had this number of candidates running for mayor. I can't even begin to imagine what the ballot is going to look like. Uh -huh. uh, he's a first-time candidate, lives in Scarborough, studying economics at Toronto Metropolitan University. Wow. And, and I think the deadline is May 12th, so there's still a few more days. Uh, we could see more. Join the race. Okay. And finally, last but not least, John, late night shows are now shut down because of that Hollywood writer's strike. It's beginning. Friends of mine are going to be walking the picket lines today. The first casualties are the shows that are produced on a daily basis. So Jimmy Fallon, Jimmy Kimmel, mm. uh, Stephen Colbert, Seth Meyers, The Daily Show, and this weekend's edition of Saturday Night Live, which was to be hosted by Pete Davidson. All of that stuff is canceled. We'll probably go a good long time before we run out of scripted shows because they're a long time in the pipe. But it's fascinating because, you know, Hollywood cannot get by without its writers. Yeah. And 
you know, the paralysis that is going to set in very quickly is going to be very instructive about the influence of writers. Oh, absolutely. You know, we see the actors, we think, you know, they're the face, they're, they're what mm -hmm. makes it work, but there's this whole other side to it that we don't necessarily see, and that, of course, is the backbone, the writers. All right, News Talk 1010's John Moore. Have a great show. Welcome back once again, and we'll chat again tomorrow. Take care. Jennifer Sheng, our friend over at CP24. And yeah, I, I find a writer's strike to be fascinating because these are just the people who toil away in the background, but they are the storytellers. They are the dialogue writers. Back in the classic era of Hollywood, they would go out and find writers, many of whom had already had careers uh, writing for the stage or writing for novels and short stories, and they'd put them in these little villas on the lot and say, just crank something out. And writers are responsible for everything from the funny lines that you hear on late night television, which has gone silent as of last night. They're the people who come up with the ideas and plot twists for things like the grand finale of Breaking Bad. They are the creative force in Hollywood. And sure, I guess if all the cinematographers went on strike, they would probably be paralyzed as well. But the writers have a pretty strong case. Hollywood is making money off of platforms that it previously didn't make money off, and it's not compensating the writers, and much like songwriters and, you know, creatives who deserve to be compensated for the work that they do, especially when that work starts leading to even greater income. So let's press the pause button, but moments from now, we're going to take a look at the half-hour headlines and update your traffic. And then this Clydesdale wagon of fun continues. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 528 moments away from the half-hour headlines and a check on traffic. I'll tell you in drips and drabs as the morning continues a little bit more about my vacation and trip. But one of the fun things was... I actually stayed at the recommendation of my cousin in what's called a Green Book Hotel. It's called the Magnolia House. And the Green Book, if you remember the movie, was a guy created by a guy who lived in New York City. His name was Green. And the idea was it was so precarious for black Americans to travel to take road trips during the era where post-World War II, everybody was taking road trips. He created a guide to the hotels, motels, gas stations, um, eateries, to all of the places where a black person was going to be welcome. And Magnolia House is actually an historic place in Greensboro, North Carolina, where an incredible parade of people from Muhammad Ali to Ella Fitzgerald, Louis Armstrong, uh, James Baldwin, all of these people stayed. And so I thought, okay, I could go stay in a very conventional hotel in Greensboro, or I could go have this experience. And it had its ups and downs, I have to say, because uh, some of the other guests were somewhat uh, animated, let's say. Um, but it was way cool. And part of the experience of staying in this place is being reminded of what it was like to travel as an African-American in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. And, you know, just a quick little mention here. One of the aspects would be that a guy driving his own car would wear a chauffeur's hat just so as not to have the police say, that guy, that black man must have stolen that car. 
Monday, I had uh, lunch with some friends downtown. It was uh, on Queen Street west of university. So the Queen Street closure ends where? I think at, um, I'm forgetting the name of the street, just before the Opera House and just before the uh, Osgood Hall. But um, yeah, coming, stepping out of the subway at Young Street and Queen, and there's all this hoarding and all this activity. And I thought, this for the next four freaking years? And you know it's not going to be four, right? It's going to be six. If we judge by how things have gone on Eglinton, this is not going to be completed on time. However, at the same time, you can't grieve it too much. This is leading to something genuinely transformative. And I am incredibly supportive of the Ontario line in spite of the insane chaos it's going to bring to this town probably right up until about 2030. Subscribe today and always hear the latest episode of The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. So many things in the five things you need to know that require elaboration. One of them would certainly be this tragedy of uh, two Canadians, one of them a member of the Canadian Armed Forces who volunteered to fight for Ukraine. Uh, they were killed at Bakhmut. Cole Zelenko, 21 years old, and Kyle Porter, 27 years old, believed to be the fourth and fifth Canadian volunteers killed fighting for Ukraine against Russia. And the, their families were informed, their bodies are likely gonna be recovered and sent back to Canada. But, you know, what an incredible tragedy, this inc completely unnecessary war and this incredible aggression by a tin pot dictator who will be dead probably in the next decade. But until Vladimir Putin is deposed or dead, this conflict will probably continue. And it was actually subject of discussion my cousins are very, very political people. So when I was down in North Carolina, it kept coming up. What do you think is going to happen with the Russian invasion of Ukraine? And I'm no global expert, but I suspect it's going to end up kind of like North and South Korea, that maybe eventually we come to some sort of a tense settlement. But you may know that that war lasted up until last year. It started in the early 1950s and it stopped and Canada was there. You know, you will look at Canadian war memorials and you will see, and the conflict in Korea. Um, I forget what the casualty count was. Back in the day when I was doing my veteran interviews, I spoke to one veteran and it was a horrific, deadly um, conflict. I mean, for especially having come out of World War II and thinking, okay, that was ugly, that was deadly, that was violent, that was craven. Um, and then we got to the Korean conflict, and that was just as, as ugly an affair. So I suspect the Russian invasion of Ukraine will kind of be like that. Maybe we come to some sort of a tense settlement, and the Russians get to hold on to the territory they currently hold, and the Ukrainians are in a permanent, and NATO are in a permanent defensive posture. But I don't see this ending anytime soon. Uh, in preparing for the show this morning, came across an interesting story about Tucker Carlson and the straw that broke the camel's back. And apparently it's a text he sent. And let this be a warning to everybody. And there's no taking back all the texts and emails that we have sent up until now. But you might want to think about 
how frank you are, because depending on what kind of a situation you find yourself in, those texts could come back to haunt people. They are certainly, they were instrumental into why Fox ended up paying a settlement out to Dominion voting machines. It was because it was so painfully clear that Fox and all of its employees knew full well that they were lying about what is called the big lie, the stealing of the election in 2020. I mean, people will still send me messages saying, oh, the 2020 election was definitely stolen. Okay, understand one thing. Tucker Carlson, one of the leading parade marshals for the 2020 election was stolen, has admitted in private to other people that he knows it's not true. So if the, the guy who is leading the parade on a story admits it's not true, maybe it's time to give up on it. But the text that apparently undid Tucker Carlson is about a member of, they say Antifa, so they don't even say the race of the individual, but a member of Antifa was being beaten up by three white guys on January 6th, and he writes, it was three against one. Jumping a guy like that is dishonorable, obviously. It's not how white men fight. Yet suddenly I find myself rooting for the mob against the man, hoping they'll hit him harder, kill him. I really wanted them to hurt the kid. I could taste it. I should remember that somewhere somebody probably loves this kid and would be crushed if he was killed. If I don't care about those things, if I reduce people to their politics, how am I better than he is? Which is a somewhat refreshing and remarkable moment of self-reflection where Tucker Carlson realizes that he is a horrible, horrible person. But uh, that apparently for Fox, in addition to the fact that via text and email, he was completely assassinating his own employers and his own corporation. And so they looked at the balance sheet and said, we get it. You make us tens of millions of dollars a year, but you are out of here. It's not the end of Tucker Carlson necessarily, but I think it's the end of the core of his career. And I've compared him in the past to Father Conklin, a Canadian priest who became a star on radio and used to give speeches to stadiums in the United States during the 1930s, a ferocious anti-Semite, a Hitler fan, uh, hated FDR. And ultimately, they finally said, you're, you're bad. <laughs> you're bad for, for business. You're bad for everything. And so he was sent back to being a parish priest, and he lived into the 1970s, but basically was neutered for the rest of his career. That's The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.